no longer morning. All right. Well, um, Esther, it is chapter six. Uh, after I felt bad this week, um, I need to confess lots of sin. Um, but the first one is that um, we've been ta- barking about not ever reading ahead, and then I accidentally listened to Esther 7, forget- forgetting that we were in Esther 6. So I didn't read it, though, Papa. I just listened to Alistair. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah, so it was. Didn't take any yeah. notes or any mental. Three, only Alistair Begg can do this. Three idioms is what his three main points were. Oh, wow. And I think, who else can pull that off and just seem good about it? And uh, Esther spills the beans. Uh, the king explodes. And um, Haman, um, curtains. Curtains for Haman. Wow, that's pretty. Only, only Alistair. He really is the only one that could really pull that off. Well, you've already that. taught next week now. Yeah, right. No, don't have to come next week. Hey, I don't know. Isn't it next week that we're on and the other group is off and then we're off and the other I'm group confused. is on? Is it next week we're on? Mm, okay. We're on next week, Papa. So right. now you know the three Good. main points. Thank you. No. you pray for us, Papa, thinking of this? And then, uh, Jared, how about reading uh, Esther 6? So good. And then. Papa, you have uh, this leads to this leads to this leads to this. Right. Are you starting with that? Did you ask me to pray or Jared? How about you pray and Jared reads? Father God, thank you for uh, our group uh, here in the choir room uh, uh, speaking of, of Esther and um, teaching on Esther. And Lord, uh, uh, we, we need your Holy Spirit. Jerry and I were talking this week about uh, we 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 try in our in our flesh sometimes to uh, exposit scripture, but uh, it's even better when your spirit speaks through us, and and we ask for that help, and and uh, that we may glorify you and teach exactly what you want us to know. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm, amen. Um, Jared, if you read this for all at once, that will uh, help us then to go blow by blow. All right, Esther 6. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai told about Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, and led him to the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. 
Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Wow. Wow. So the tide turns uh, a little bit. Papa, can you lead us what leads to what leads to what leads to what? Sure. Is that what you have for us? Uh, A few weeks ago, we did this, and actually we got a little, little behind, so... I want to p- kind of pick up this. This might go back up chapter two, but um, the coincidences—it just so happens. Um, and you can use that now. We can use that now with our friends. It just so happens when Esther goes to plead with the king for her people. It just so happens that she once again, again, finds favor with him. Uh, the first time, of course, was when she was chosen to be queen, and then now she finds favor again. When she defers her request until the next day, it just so happens that Haman crosses paths with Mordecai again and becomes so enraged that he decides, and that's a real turning point here too, to execute him immediately instead of waiting another 11 months for the rest of the Jews. While the builders are constructing the gallows through the night, it just so happens that Haman decides he can't wait any longer and goes to seek the king's permission in the middle of the night. Meanwhile, it just so happens that the king cannot sleep. And that's where we are today. It just so happens that the book of memorable deeds is brought in to be read. And it just so happens that the reader opens to the spot where Mordecai's good deed is recorded. That's amazing because it's been five years. Mm. Um, Immediately after the reading of the court's failure to record Mordecai, it just so happens that Haman shows up. And it just so happens that the king omits Mordecai's name, allowing Haman to think that the king wants to honor him mm-hmm. instead of Mordecai. It's great. It just so happens. It just so happens. That we're here. And wouldn't you say, Papa, that you would have to say there's 100,000 other things in between there. These are the recorded things. Oh, these that are the recorded so things. Happened. That's correct. But, you know, when we see every single thing, this is what Alistair was uh, talking about. He said casual and seemingly inconsequential events. And, you know, they saturate the book of Esther, casual and seemingly inconsequential. We don't see um, what we call miracles. And there's no crossing of the Red Sea. There's no thing that looks like it's miraculous, but they are all um, still, they they are still all consequential for sure. So we see day-to-day events, things that happen to us every day, every Thursday, that might look inconsequential, but everything is consequential in the Romans 8.28 sort of way. Um, in the sanctification of every believer. And man, that has hit me in a new way this week. Every single thought is consequential. Every single word, every conversation, every minute of every day. So most, uh, I just thought about this, most of uh, some of my most miserable thoughts uh, is when I failed to teach this really um, accurately. Um, and I guess you just have to call it heresy. I hate to kind of be admitting this, but I, you know, be certain that most of what I've taught that has been heretical, I probably don't even know about, but I remember Miss Elizabeth, your um, 
helping you maybe remember this too. There was a clar- uh, kind of a clarifying question when uh, we were teaching Romans at a different church, and um, and I avoided it kind of due to the fear of man. Twenty five years ago at Surfside Preds, I remember teaching something in Colossians just completely wrong, just blatantly wrong. And um, and this is probably the one that I'm most miserable about. That that now I look at this and I just say. Um, I really remember, I think, saying this out loud. It's terrifying to think about that Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good, except that which is sinful, you know, and putting that in there, adding to Scripture. And that, I am so convinced, is not at all. Not at all true. And we see that through here. And that's what Alistair was talking about, Big Fanna. He said a little bit of an unfortunate name, his brother Little Fanna. But he's <laughs> a saying, little fan of Big yeah, Fanna. Yeah, you, but you just say his sin is not hindering the all things working together for good. And there is something pretty freeing um, about that. And so the only comfort in all of even our past sin is Job 42.2. That no plan of God's can be thwarted. You know, God is faithful even to work through that. Never to cause us to be licentious, but always to say part of the no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is that God is not kindred by all that we um, have failed to do or, or do wrong. And so um, Romans 8, 28, still perfectly true, continuously no matter our actions. And I think you could argue that we're never really 100% sinless anyway, right? All day long, our, our conversations could always be more godly. I think you could, you could argue. So when one considers the sin of omission even, do we ever really say or, anything, say or think anything perfectly biblical? Probably not. But in Esther, our Lord uses Esther and Mordecai who fast to do what's godly. Um, but when we find in Esther 6.2 that it was found written how Mordecai had told about Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who had guarded the threshold, who had sought to lay hands on King uh, Xerxes, Jared, laying hands is probably not giving them a back rub. Is that probably <laughs> what we're saying? I don't think so. Laying hands on them. I love that that phrase. And... You would think the the book of memorable deeds had to have a lot. Like, I'm wondering in five years how they had to turn. How many memorable deeds happened in five years, I wonder? I don't know, but there were probably a, a good number of yeah, those. and turned right to the, the... To the right, to the right page, to the right deed, on the yeah. right date, on the right time. Yes. So God uses these two guys, Big Thana and Teresh, um, the king, even Horrible Haman, to bring about his provid- providential plan. Um, and that's what's going to accomplish his purposes, the sanctification, uh, in this case, the saving of the Jews. But then he, and then I wanted to say, okay, all that Papa just read, this leads to this leads to this leads to this, which saves the Jews. And I went and in my mind said, oh, so that was the end result. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not at all the end result, right? The Lord Jesus comes because of that, through that. And then... How about our salvation through the Lord Jesus? How about um, the the possibility when Josh um, leads Sam to the Lord Jesus, what, three years ago? That's all comes 
through that. And Sam's impact at the pharmacy this week. And then uh, the impact that it, it goes on and on. It's a, it's, it keeps going. And Sam and Josh defending their families against the black bear, too. That's right. Last week. Yeah, exactly right. So um, all of these things, it's just so. Jared, could you start us off there? Um, by what did you learn even from just six of one and two there? Yeah, kind of going off what you guys are saying with God's sovereignty, this really reminded me of Ecclesiastes 10, where it says, Even your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Hmm. So it seems that God is sovereign over every single decision that anyone ever makes. The king is a, a stream of water in God's hands. And here we see that God is sovereign over the fact that the king couldn't fall asleep that night. And he reads for the deeds and he sees Mordecai's good deed here. So Mordecai had conducted himself with integrity and faithfulness this whole time. And now God was finally going to reward that through this providential moment. And I think the application for us here is, are we like Mordecai in respect to the leadership? Do we have this kind of you know, desire for our leadership to be saved? Romans tells us, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So this was kind of convicting for me reading this. It's like, do I have this kind of a heart for our own leadership in our own country, or do I have this kind of bitterness toward them or, or apathy or whatever? Mordecai was conducting himself with integrity, and God rewarded him for that, and that was the means by which God was going to save the Jews here. That's great, because that king, he's quite something. You see that every week. He is, he is something else. Papa. I'm really provoked, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, by on that night, the king could not sleep. And now, how many of us have perhaps had sleepless nights at times, or uh, maybe a, a dream woke us up, or maybe maybe it was eating too much that night before, or something like that? And and we struggle with that. And and you know, I think about C.S. Lewis says God whispers to us uh, in our in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, and he shouts to us in our pain. And uh, during that night, what night? That's the night, same night that, um, you know, Haman's out there building this gallows, um, and they're, they're zealously working on this thing. And the, so that's the same night that Haman was constructing this thing. And as we already mentioned, that's five years after this deed was recorded. And the, the, the literal in the Hebrew says, the Hebrew reads, the king's sleep fled away on that night. Have you ever had your sleep fl flee, flee away or fled away? Uh, I have for certain. Now, I have on occasions, I'm not claiming any, any special revelation, but have read my Bible, which is great solace. Uh, but uh, I, I can't say that I had... A dream that needed to be interpreted. Um, now, why couldn't he sleep? Providence. It just so happens that the king couldn't sleep. Um, and there's some other examples of dreams or dream interpretations. Going back, Daniel, one of my favorite Bible heroes. Uh, what about Nebuchadnezzar? You know, Nebuchadnezzar has a um, uh, can't sleep. 
uh, again, a king who can't sleep, a pagan king, and God is speaking through a dream to the in his providence to a pagan king that needs a gen, uh, needs a Jewish interpreter, and Daniel happens to be there, and he tells him about his kingdom, he tells him about world history, he tells him about the statue, the the head of gold and silver and bronze and iron and that type of thing, even until the end of the world. What a revelation! through a pagan king. Um, the story of Joseph. Joseph's, uh, you know, forgotten in, in prison by the cupbearer until Pharaoh has a dream, and he remembers Joseph then, and it's been two years, um, and then Joseph go, goes and tells the story of seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, which in turn saves the Jewish people in Egypt. So, uh, and then, just to look, one more example, Daniel is thrown in the lion's den. And the king regrets that he made this irrevocable uh, decree and has anxiety over the fact that he's in the uh, lion's den and can't sleep that night. And then he goes up, goes forward, and I, let me I read what Ferguson said, Sinclair Ferguson said, poor Darius, he goes without food, entertainment, and sleep. He is powerless to help and driven to despair. His helplessness suggests to us that it's better to be a child of faith than a den of lions than a king in a palace without faith. And so it's, it's amazing. We got these precedent stories. The king can't sleep and God's working. Yep. So sure enough, he gets out the uh, the book of memorable deeds. Some commentators think that's to put him to sleep, and others seem to say, no, this thing's kind of a poetic sort of a deal. That uh, that would be kind of interesting. Jared, do you have a lean one way or another on that? Do you think the king was trying to get sleepy or learn something? Um. I wouldn't be surprised if there were a lot of his own deeds in this book and he just wanted to yeah, stroke, himself up a little. stroke his own I ego. Did this, I did that. <laughs> that's pretty good insight. I like that. <laughs> that's, probably, that's, that's likely. Well, it was interesting that from verse 2 that he says, like, wait a second, who's rewarded Mordecai for this thing? Or verse 3. And, um, and I think in my mind, I think, oh, well, this is to be nice to Mordecai. But uh, one of the commentators was saying, well, not really. He just, that's what you showed. That's how you showed your power. That if you were really generous to always reward people generously, it showed that you had a lot of money and a lot of stuff. So the king's probably puffing up his own self again. Uh, him and Haman are pretty good at that um, in this whole whole episode, Papa. Um. So it's found what Mordecai had recorded, and um, he, uh, of course, he he's interested. He asks the attendant, "What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this?" And the king's young men who attended him said, "Nothing has been done for him." Well, uh, some of the commentators said, "Well, that was kind of." too bad in, in the Persian kingdom because it's been five years, nothing had been done. They like to reward these kinds of things because um, kings do get assassinated from time to time. In fact, this guy finally does in the end. And so um, uh, he promptly uh, 
responds. So he, he says, who's in the court? Who's in the court? Now, we think it's probably early in the morning or maybe still late at night. And just so happens that Haman wanders in. Well, he didn't wander in out of good faith. He wandered in because he's so anxious. He's had this these gallows built. Now he wants to get rid of Mordecai. Um, in spite of the fact that Mordecai is a Jew, and Jew, he's under that same indictment, but that's 11 months away from, from transpiring, so he wants to expedite this thing. And, and, and Haman just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows just as he's prepared. And the king's young men told him, Haman's there standing in the court, and the king said, let him come in. So boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Action. It's interesting. Jared, I love your insights on this. Mordecai doesn't seem like he lost any sleep by not getting rewarded. Now, we don't know that, but not getting his his due. Because all the way back was it in chapter 2, when it looks like you would expect uh, Mordecai to get some sort of a, um, a little reward for all that he's done in saving the king's life, that the whole chapter is about Haman getting um, exalted. Jared, is that quite a, uh, do you think there's something there for us practically that when we're not promoted, we need to have a better attitude like Mordecai here? Yeah, I don't know if my math is right on this, but it seems like it's been about five years since uh, Mordecai actually informed the king that he was going to be assassinated. And this whole time we have no indication that he's tried to exalt himself. On the contrary, he's been openly associating with the Jews, choosing to be mistreated with the people of God, kind of like Moses. He, he chooses to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So, I mean, this is kind of convicting for us. It's like when our circumstances aren't going great, do we try to exalt ourselves to a better situation or do we are we patient with God? Do we trust God through the hard times? Um, I was reminded of Luke where it says, Jesus giving the parable of this wedding feast, and it says, um, but when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So are we like Mordecai? Are we taking this lowly position and being okay if... God doesn't move us up, or are we trying to make our circumstances better through our own will and always trying to move up the ladder in life? Really good. Papa? It seems to me that Joseph is, a, I mean, the Joseph, it seems like, hey, I mean, I can't get my character. Mordecai is a type of Joseph. In other words, he does, he, he does the right thing in spite of his circumstances. And um, A lot of similarities between those two stories, aren't there? Oh, there are. There are. Um, and and uh, so what's going on here? The, the, the Haman's there. So he naturally he turns to Haman. Now, why he would turn to Haman, that's you know, his, his vice president or uh, secretary of state or whatever his position is. And the king said to him, what should be done to this man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman thinks to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Um, we just finished our men's um, 
breakfast on pride. And this is pride in, mm. in overtime. Who would he desire to honor more than me? It's a huge contrast between Mordecai and Haman here. Oh, there is. Yep. Proverbs 29, 23, pride brings a person low. We're going to see that. But lowly in spirit gains honor. And uh, certainly that's true. Jared, when you were uh, talking there a little bit ago about, you know, Mordecai being so patient, I think sometimes it's that you don't even see God reward your good deeds at all down here. But he is going to keep perfect track in, in heaven. There isn't anything that we do that isn't going to be God's, you know, going to be very faithful in the way he rewards those, which is a kind of amazing because he's the only reason that we would do anything for his glory anyway. So he does it through us and then rewards us for it in the end. And so sometimes that's not down, down here, though. Uh, Matthew Henry said, uh, Haman is so impatient in verse 4 there to get Mordecai hanged that he comes early to the court to be ready at the king's levy before any other business is brought before him to get a warrant for his, edu- uh, for his execution, um, which he makes sure that he should have the first word. So Haman's impatient. The king is so impatient to have Mordecai honored that he sends to know who's in the court that is fit to be employed in it. So we got two impatient guys here, one trying to In the execute, middle of the night. In the middle of the night, right. One trying to execute Mordecai and one trying to honor him which is just, uh, again, Alistair Begg said, this might be the most comical chapter <laughs> in all of Scripture, in just the, uh, you know, the back and forth there, Jared. The contrasting any? irony. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. What do you think there, Jared? Yeah, I mean, I think if we were unbelievers reading this, you would have to chalk it up to either the book is fictional or these are just this is just a mere coincidence here, but... I mean, kind of like what Mark talked about last week, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's sovereign hand. God is sovereign over every second of every day. And it just so happens that Haman is just entered the outer court exactly the same time that the king is looking for this reward for Mordecai. And he happens to leave out the fact that he's planning on rewarding Mordecai too. He doesn't tell Haman that. He just says what rewards should be given. And Haman's like list this whole list out. So God was sovereign over every single second of every day, but God was also sovereign over the past, you know, five to 10 years where absolutely nothing was happening. So here the story is proceeding, the plot's going on, but God is sovereign over both when things are going on in life and when things are going right and when absolutely nothing is happening. Yeah, that one of the commentators said early on, Mordecai's being names used all the time here. And it was found written that Mordecai had told about Big Than and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. And the king said, what honor or distinction should we have bestowed on Mordecai for this? But now when Haman comes in, the king doesn't use his name. The king says, what should we do to that man? And so Haman, of course, like you're saying, Papa, thinks, Hey, that's got to be me. Sounds, I, sounds I, like me, sounds too. Sounds like me, yeah. That's just, and, and which is, which you chuckle, but you say that kind of pride, oh, man. 
that brings me bad. We, I, I knew a man kind of like this. And and then too often that's me that's kind of like that. Was this, like I was telling Papa, um, this was 30 years ago, embarrassing. I, I wish I'd known you 30 years ago. Oh, man. No, I don't know, Papa. <laughs> but I was uh, in preaching class. Um, we Whoever had the best sermon got to go preach in chapel. I'll make a long story short here. I was sure mine was the best. I was positive. And so, you know, the teacher's getting ready to say who's getting to do it. And I'm thinking, just like Haman, this has got to be me. I don't even think there was one person that voted for my sermon and that when it came right down to it. I don't even know that I was in the top. There were only 17 of us. I might have not been in the top 15 in the whole, in the whole thing. And, man, I was so sure. Man, I was getting ready. How am I going to change? What am I going to do on this? I didn't have to do any of that because I just got to sit in chapel and listen to the guy who should have been preaching. Preach. And it was a good lesson to say, oh, man, do I have an inflated ego. And Eamon here is, uh, he is out of control. And, uh, but how funny that he, how many things does he do there and list? That Mordecai ends up getting the fancy horse and the robes. And let, the... let royal, I'll reread this if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, and Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, and he, this just rolls off his lips. He immediately thinks of himself, I think. Let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So Haman's got to be the herald, too. He's got to go lead him. Well, he doesn't know that quite yet because he thinks that's going to be him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about that, Jared. Um, a selfishness there that's amazing. <laughs> well, it's just the fact that it's so instinctive. And Zach Hutzel and I were talking about this a little bit this week. It's like, does an unbeliever have the ability to do God or to to do good? And he goes back to Romans eight: man in his flesh cannot please God. And we see the nature of how our hearts work as unbelievers, and even. As Christians, this still gets to us, like what you were talking about here, how our pride works. It's just, it's intrinsic to our character. And our world revolves around itself. And instinctively, we're thinking of ourselves and not of glorifying God. Yeah, no, it isn't very instinctive, Papa. Um, John 15, I think, says, without me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about you. You shared in ministry, and many of us of you in the, in the secular world, I remember in the business world, it was always seemed to be competition. You you had peers and subordinates, and uh, and then you were always uh, you had deadlines and schedules, and and you were kind of in competition, both for pay and recognition. So this is not foreign to the real life either. Mm-mm. No, and and I do hope that we don't forget verse six there that that really is pro. All of us, wouldn't you say that it's a huge battle each day to not just be so self-centered? Everybody's most important person is themselves. I'm afraid, naturally, 
who would the king delight to honor more than me? And then we kind of can, can say that too, is that, you know, who, who am I thinking about? I'm basically thinking about me. Haman in verse 7 said to the king, for um, who the king delights to honor, Papa read us the list, let the robes and the horse in verse 9 be handed over to the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. Let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city. Um, Alistair Begg again said, this is jaw-dropping. You're reading this and you're <laughs> like, oh, no, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know how this is all going to play out. And, uh, and it had to be just horrifying when uh when the king tells uh um Haman what's really going to go on here cuz he says to him hurry take the robes and the horse as you have said you know reminding him you're the one that came up with this and do it to Mordecai the Jew and at that point he had to be oh no. wait that's the guy just did the that I just had 75 feet of uh Gallows for that guy. Oh, Papa. Wow. And and, and it's interesting, too. And, and so Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And, oh, I'm sorry, in the, in the verse right before that, the king reminds him, leave nothing out that you've mentioned. Yeah. Whether it be robes or horse or crown or leading through the city. So he reminds him, to do all that Haman came up with. Yeah. Exactly. Jared? Yeah, I think we talked a little bit in the past weeks about all the types and the shadows for Christ in this book. And at the exact moment that, you know, Haman is planning on putting Mordecai on the gallows, the king is planning on exalting Mordecai um, to this position of power. In the same way, the Jews and the Romans, the exact moment that they're planning on killing Christ, God is planning on exalting him to the highest position in the universe. Now, just like Esther with the golden scepter, Christ actually had to go to the gallows. That's what all these stories point forward to in their shadows and types is that Christ actually had to make that sacrifice. But as a result, he's the guarantor of a better covenant and he is the king of the kingdom and of the church. And so I think a lot of times, well, Esther never mentions the name of God, but I think the book is trying to get us to search out these hidden shadows and types for how God the Father is working providentially, how the Holy Spirit is working through the faith of all these characters, and how ultimately this stuff is going to point forward to a Savior that's going to come and redeem us from our sins. Jared, um, I'm... In my notes here, I have a reminder from the Westminster Confession of Faith from 1647. And it just says what you just uh, stated. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. I think that's all things, Jerry. Mm-hmm. No, isn't it? No, it's, it is. It's, that's amazing. And, and uh, thanks for the good insights there. Haman takes the robes and the horse, dressed Mordecai, 
Um, I think this was Matthew Henry said, it's hard to say which of the two put a greater force upon himself, proud Haman in putting the honor upon Mordecai or humble Mordecai accepting it. The king would have it so and both must submit. So Mordecai didn't have any choice. He didn't probably want to get paraded around on that crazy horse, but he had to. That's what the king said. And Haman sure did not want to lead him around and he didn't have any choice either. He, that's, that's, so, um, Mordecai uh, received the king's uh, favor, and that gave hope that Esther would prevail in reversing the edict um, against the Jews. Any other thoughts before we get to verse 12 there? I'm going to read 12 through 14 in the area, Papa. I'd be glad to. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Changed her tune in about one chapter, didn't she? All of a sudden, not so, uh, not so fast, my friend, on that one. Uh, Mordecai... Though, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Jared. He returned to the king's gate. Isn't that great? He just went right back to work. You know, he just got paraded around like a, you know, now like he's almost second in command. But he went right back to, right back to work just doing the same old routine. Faithful. Jared, any thoughts on that? Um, well, it just shows the difference between Mordecai and Haman in this story. Haman is completely puffed up every time he gets an accolade, and Mordecai, on the other hand, is just it's another day in the li- <laughs> in the life for him. He's he completely deflects the praise and the glory, and he seems to just be focused on the Jews being saved and God being glorified. Yeah, seemed completely unfazed by the honor. Yeah, I love that. That's pretty good insight, Poppy. You have your finger on the text. Um, you know, it's amazing, too. It seems that the king knows, he says, go to Mordecai, the Jew, so he knows he's a Jew, mm-hmm. who sits at the king's gate. So the king both knows that he's a Jew, and he's sitting at the king's gate. So that that brings up the question, does the king really know what his edict said? And mm-hmm. I would think he'd have to, with all the commotion that's been going on. Mm-hmm. But, so he, he, he doesn't omit that. And um, thus it should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And so he returns to the gate. Um, humility. Uh, he's he's, he's a, sitting at the gate. He was probably some sort of official. And he just went back to doing rather than parade around like a peacock with his, with his robes. I assume he took his robes off. I, we don't know. We're not told. Mm-hmm. But uh, humility. He's not phased by this recognition. No. No, that's that's amazing. And um, he goes back, and uh, Mordecai, before you begin to fall, they, his wife Zeresh, Haman's wife Zeresh, uh, you know, earlier said, well, hey, why don't you build a uh, some gallows for him? Then go to party with the king and queen. You, that's, you, you got a great day going. And then now it's like, uh-oh. You look like you're in trouble, pal. Uh, it, it's about curtains for you. 
um, in in Alistair Begg's um, language there. Jared, any thoughts there? Um, yeah, talking about Haman's mourning and his friends um, telling him that he's going to fall. I have a quote from Calvin that says, We do not read of any man who broke out into more unbridled and audacious contempt of the deity than see Caligula, and yet none showed greater dread when any indication of divine wrath was manifested. Thus, however unwilling, he shook with terror before the God whom he professedly studied to condemn. You may every day see the same thing happening to his modern imitators. The most audacious despiser of God is most easily disturbed, trembling at the sound of a falling leaf. So we see these people who were once so ardently opposed to God's people, and talking about how Mordecai needs to be hanged, how the Jews need to be annihilated, all of a sudden, when the king turns his decree and all of a sudden his favor is on um, Mordecai, now all of a sudden they're saying, well, if Mordecai is of the Jewish people, you'll not overcome him, but surely fall before him. So it's like when judgment comes on people, all of a sudden God becomes very real to them. And this God who they, they scoffed at, who they were opposed to, all of a sudden now they realize his sovereignty and they realize the amount of judgment that they're owed. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? The Old Testament theme of the Jews being raised to power there, Jared. Oh, yeah. Um, we see here with Mordecai being raised to the this position of power, but this theme is throughout the whole Old Testament. We see Joseph being raised to power. We see Moses. We see Daniel. It happens over and over again and i think the purpose is to show us that despite the fact that these pagan kingdoms might look so powerful in the world god is still sovereign and god still has the ability to raise these individuals up to extremely strong positions within the pagan kingdom um, and we know that this is ultimately going to point forward to christ who's going to come into the roman empire and establish a kingdom that's never going to be taken down that's really good if you remember all the way back in chapter 1, there's all this fancy language for how um, the king thinks he's in control and he's not in control at all. Baba? Well, I think that, too, we, we've mentioned this before, but since this covers, this edict uh, covers all the Jewish people, that would include the um, uh, people in the bloodline of Messiah. Mm -hmm. So even, even in Israel, all the Persian kingdom... Uh, extended from uh, India all the way to Greece down to uh, Israel and even into Egypt, parts of Egypt at that time. So all the known world uh, and all Jews that resided there, which would have included uh, the Messianic line. So Yeah, and we're set up for chapter 7. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrive and hurried. Everybody's in a hurry here, it seems like, to bring Haman to the feast that Esther has prepared, and he's certainly troubled now. He's not going with the same sort of uh, joy that he went with uh, yesterday, uh, completely on top of the world. And today, um, in an upheaval, there were three things that I thought uh, were really good from, from Beg on this. Now I'd love to hear from you, Papa and, and Jared, kind of in conclusion here. Trust God's timing, and especially his delays. Right? Haven't we been impatient before on something that's not happening? You know, especially, I think, um, when we feel like we deserve a raise or a promotion. And I think that's 
a lot of my life, I've thought like, hey, you shouldn't things be a little bit better here? And uh, we got we have to trust God's timing and especially his delays. He is maturing us. So let's enjoy the process, even when it doesn't look like it's going very well. Number two, don't miss God in the tiny things, in all of the things that seem mundane. Just continue to see him in everything. Number three, God's ultimate purpose will be accomplished. You know, and God has us for such a time as this. So his ultimate purpose is never going to be thwarted by our sin, by anybody else's sin, the sin of the unbeliever, the sin of the believer, and no one is going to uh, thwart his uh, perfect plan here, Papa. Well, that's what you were talking about in their recognition of the all things. You know, it, it's, mm. he's, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, he's still in control. And and for his glory. And, yep. and he can use uh, Haman's sin. He can use uh, <laughs> Pharaoh's sin. Uh, that's why he raised Pharaoh up. So he could demote him and rescue his people. Never hindered. Never yeah. hindered. Papa? I mean, uh, Jared? The other Papa. <laughs> Yeah, I think we just need to keep in mind the verse where Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And it doesn't really matter if we see evil actions throughout this story. Uh, if we look from start to finish, there's plenty of good things that have happened, and there are plenty of evil things that have happened. But God ordains both of them for the ultimate you know, salvation of his elect. Yeah, no, really good. Quick thing. I'm going to give, uh, in honor of uh, Scott, I'm going to throw in a bonus uh, point, but 10 things that we can, um, how we should go about life. And again, these are not new. It seems like we mention them every week. First of all, there's no condemnation or guilt for, for the believer, is there? God, there's no condemnation. God's forgiven our sin, and that sin is not going to ruin his plan, ultimately. And I'm so grateful for that motivation without pressure shouldn't it motivate us that god's in control of every single event that's going on and that should be motivating that shouldn't cause us to just sit on the couch and eat bonbons that should cause us to go out and get them right god's going to use you as part of this you are here for such a time as this number three enjoy the ride enjoy all of what god's doing because it's all ultimately his plan and for his, uh, for our good and his glory. Give God the glory. Give God the glory with all your words, with all your thoughts, with all your actions. And then rest. Just remember like the farmer does. He plants his seed and then he rests. Sleeps he can't. Yep, he sleeps. Because he can't do anything to make it happen. Should be no stress, right? What's there to be stressful about? God's uh, going to make it all work out. Don't worry. Number eight, don't fear, no fear of, of, of anything because, again, God's in control. He's going to work it out. Complete forgiveness. I don't want us to miss out. How can Mordecai uh, be so forgiving and so um, kind, or, and we should do, and Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, because he knew that God was going to save many people through it. We can be forgiving of anybody knowing that God 
has not been hindered by anybody else's sin. No retaliation. If we can forgive completely, we would never retaliate. And then the bonus point, number 11, we have the perfect circumstances for our sanctification. That we know for sure. There's nothing wrong with our circumstances. There's usually something wrong with my attitude about my circumstances, and that's the the bigger issue that we need to confess. Jared, would you um, pray for us? Yep. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we get to read through your word and read through the book of Esther. I pray that you would continue to teach us and train us in godliness. I pray that you would help us be more forgiving and more patient with your timing and pray that you would use our circumstances to help us trust you more, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. If you get a chance, read chapter 7. <laughs>